Welcome back to Execute and time I am recording this is January 24. So if you're listening to the episode right now, as soon as it's released, then I want to wish you the happiest new year. We have three fantastic questions to kick off 2024 and so I'm excited to jump into them and provide the the guidance and the steer that's going to be really supportive to you guys going forwards. As a reminder, there are no stupid questions, there are no bad questions, there are no wrong questions. So whatever is coming up for you in what you're working on, whether it's it's things that we've worked on in coaching together or whether it's just something that's coming up for you in your business and you want somebody to soundboard off and you want to get my perspective on a particular situation, no bad questions. So please feel free to submit when you get the call for questions, send them in. So let's go to the the three questions we've got today. And just to give you a broad overview, we have one question around creating and pricing lighter touch design services, one around managing the money in our businesses, and one around Instagram and whether or not to completely start a fresh new account, get rid of everything that's been built up and start fresh. So I'm excited to jump into all of these with you. So let's start with the service creation and pricing. I'm going to read out the question. Katie, I'm launching a light touch single room design package and wanted your advice on how to price for this service. Up until now, we have only worked on full service bespoke interior design projects with smaller room by room consultations for existing clients. I don't think I want to advertise the costs for this service on my website, so we'll have a separate fees breakdown that I can send to potential clients as a PDF once I know they're genuine. Guidance on how to approach pricing for this service would be appreciated, especially how to break down the costs. I'm wary of setting a single cost, as I know from experience that it's hard to gauge how time-consuming the clients will be. Okay, this is a great question and there's lots to unpack in this. So let me break it down. The first thing that I want to be clear on is there is a big difference between offering up a service which is doing a single room but in a fully bespoke way. So taking a full brief from the client, coming up with the concepts, developing the design, doing the drawings package, coordinating the trades, whatever works they're going to be, being on site, doing the installation, handing over. So full end-to-end service for one room. That is a very different service to a light touch single room package where you might just be going in and doing a color consult or doing a furniture layout or doing some styling or putting together a shopping list for some some items that the client might want to buy. They're really different things. And it's important that we're really clear on what it is that we want to be offering here. Both types of service have merit. I am a huge fan of splitting out your fully bespoke design services into where you understand for a larger project potentially a whole house or a whole property, whatever that size and scale of property that for you means this is a big project, you're going to have a minimum amount of money that you could take on a project of that size and scale for. And we want to be clear about what that is. 
But I'm also a huge fan of accepting projects that are just one room, possibly two rooms, because if not, there are plenty of designers out there who say, oh, I wouldn't just do one room. I'll only do whole houses. But you're leaving money on the table. You're leaving business opportunities on the table because the client who hires you for one room now, if you do a fantastic room on that one room now, they're the person, you are the person they will call two years from now when they move house and have the whole house needing redoing. You also may have somebody who has followed you and loves your work and they just don't have a whole project. Maybe they've renovated, but, and this, I'm sharing this from my personal experience right now. I've done most of my house, but I didn't do the kitchen because the budget just wasn't stretching enough to do that one room justice. Down the line, I will be doing this one room and I will be calling in help to design that room. Does that mean that if I was approaching a designer and they said, oh no, we wouldn't just do one room. I would think they were crazy because it's a, it's going to be a great project when it comes up. So there are so many benefits to doing this. Also, you do a great job for one client on one room. They tell their friends, their friends tell their friends. Your opportunity to spread the message about the kind of work you do is so much greater when you're serving more clients in different ways than if you're steadfastly sticking to just whole properties and nothing else. So they, they're they different things. And what you've said in your question is I'm launching a light touch single room design package. So I'm going to take that at face value and assume that this is light touch. So it's not end to end concept to completion. This is about going in to help with a very specific problem that that client has, whether it's picking the colors, arranging the furniture, choosing the art, whatever it is. I really want you to be so clear on what the service is and the parameters of that service, because that's how you can price in a way that means you're not going to be at risk of having to do loads of work that you're not being paid for. You have the experience and the expertise that you can gauge how time consuming this work's going to be when you put parameters around the service. So let me just use the example of a colour consult consultation. You may know that in advance of this, you're going to want to get some information from the client. You need to know a bit about the property. Is it north facing, south facing? What's the vibe? What's the kind of feel that they want? Or you're going to ask, get some information from them. And that's when your involvement in the project starts. We don't want to do that for free. They're then assuming that this is going to be something in person. Doesn't have to be, but we're talking colours, so that it probably will be in person. You're going to go to the property. You're going to spend some time there. You're going to look at the, the room. You're going to go away. You're going to come up with a schedule, maybe in person with the client, you're going to talk about options and actually show them some samples. How many different paint colors are you going to be or paint companies will you be pulling from? Assuming you're not just going with one range, that you're actually the benefit of doing this is using all sorts of different suppliers, having that discussion with the client, making sure it fits with what's going on in the rest of the house. And then you're going to go away and prepare some kind of schedule so the client has a deliverable so they know exactly what color the walls are, the woodwork, the finishes, the 
the supplier they have to order it from, they will receive something afterwards. And potentially there will be a bit of back and forward on email for a certain amount of time so they can just clarify anything with you. We can walk through what that service will be. I've given you the example of a colour consultation, but you could apply that same thinking to, to anything, whether it's spatial planning or picking art or picking accessories. You know the work that would need to be done. And it's really about now crafting that service in a way that means it can genuinely be light touch for you. And you get to create it on your terms. You get to put whatever parameters and stipulations in place around it. So I'm not a massive fan of it's a consultate, it's a two hour consultation and here's the price. But I am a fan of here is the service. This is the pre-work. This is what happens when we meet in person. This is the deliverable. This is the value you get. And here is the price. And the when we meet in person, you can absolutely put a time on that. And if you they get some follow up on email and the ability to ask you questions, well, how long is that follow up for? Is it one week, two weeks? You know, if they have a question three months later, are you going to be available to answer that? You get to decide. But it's by thinking through the way that you want the service to run and what will genuinely give the client a result that is valuable for them and bringing those two things together that you craft the service in a way that works. If it is a light touch service, I'm always, always in favour of sharing prices early because for starters, it's just a good customer experience. It's always so annoying when you find something, a product or a service that you like, and it's like price on application. (laughs) How annoying. Most of the time, I think I can't be bothered to find out. I think if I read the Sunday papers and there's, I don't know, a bag or something, and it says price on application, maybe I can't afford it, but maybe I can. We will never know because I simply cannot be bothered to take that next step. I will just go and solve my my bag need problem somewhere else. And it's the same for you and your services. Yes, for a big bespoke project or any kind of bespoke project, it's going to be a bespoke fee. But we can provide pricing guidance so that our clients have at least a good indication early in the process of the kind of region we're talking about. But anything light touch where you're not charging the size and scale of fee that you would for bespoke work, we don't want to reinvent the wheel every time. We want to know what the price for that service is. And then if we know what the price is, why wouldn't we share it with our clients? So I really want you to be asking yourself, what is coming up for me when I'm thinking about sharing the costs for this service on my website? What's causing that resistance? What is the feeling that is coming up for me? And why am I experiencing this? What's going on? Because I think there's some work there, which is less about strategy and less about the practical to put the price there or not, and more about something that's coming up for you about the price and sharing that upfront. So I really want you to ask yourself that. The, there is a genuine thing <laughs> where we want to be thinking what is going to provide the very, very best service experience for our clients and making sure they have all the information they need to make a decision about 
hiring us for their project. That's part of a great service, I believe. I also want you to be asking yourself, how can you protect your time and your energy in the delivery of service? So you know what you're going to be putting into this. You know that this, you've got this idea for this design package, you've got an idea about what it's going to include, but now ask yourself, what could happen? So you've already started doing this. I know how hard it is to gauge how time-consuming clients will be. So what needs to happen? What do you need to communicate as part of the service that is going to protect you against this? That is partly going to feed into your marketing, what they get, what they don't get. And it's partly going to feed into your communication and your boundaries with somebody when you onboard them, when you actually sell the service. So they are super clear. This is how you're going to communicate with them. This is what access they have. This is how available you are. These are the deliverables. I think one thing that's really great with a, with a light touch service is to set out the timescale from the beginning. So there, So let's go back to our example of color consultation. If, for example, you think I can do this entire thing within a month, set it out. So as soon as they sign up, you send them a questionnaire. They have five days to send back their questionnaire or you book in a call. You know, they have to book that call within the first week with you so you can ask them the questions however you want your process to go. After that, you will book in a date for the site visit. It will be taken between this date and this date or within the net, within weeks two to, f- to three of you providing the service. And by the end of week four, they will have the deliverable and then they might get that follow up. So I've just given you a, an example there, but being super clear about the length of the service and what they're buying is incredibly helpful. And that's going to protect your time and your energy. But I also want you to ask yourself, what else do I need to put in place? What could come up and how can I protect myself against that? So coming back to your your question, guidance on how to approach pricing for this service. When pricing anything, I really want us to be really clear as service providers, there's no magic formula. So if we were selling wallpaper, for example, we would have certain costs, certain production costs that went into every single roll of wallpaper. We would then put our markup on it. And it's very easy to just calculate, this is our standard profit margin. This is our markup. This is what we do. And that's therefore the price. With our services, it's different. There is the the practical and strategic work that feeds into what our pricing should be. And I, we go into this in the charge in so much more detail where I really walk you through setting these money goals for your business and being really clear about how the work you're taking on is going to contribute to achieving those goals and therefore the price of your services. But for example, if you think I'm going to do three big projects within a year and let's say of your light touch single room design services i want to do one of these every two months say well what does the price have to be if you're going to hit that goal you've set for your business for the year that's part of it that gives us a starting point 
The other thing I really want you to lean into is what's the value of this service? So we don't want to be looking at what anyone else is charging. We don't want to be thinking about our time or hourly rates. We want to be thinking, what is the value of this transformation for this client? So if you are designing a room or elements of a room and you are taking them from, again, let's go back to the color consultation example, I have a problem, I have literally no idea what color to paint this room. Let's say it's a guest bedroom. I really want it to be lovely and calming. I want people to really enjoy staying in it. I want it to be neutral enough that everybody likes it. It's not too personality. I'm thinking about selling the house in a couple of years, so I don't want to do anything too wacky. I really want it to go with what else I've done in the rest of the house and I just don't know anything about paint colours or brands and I've painted 18 samples on my wall and they're all wrong. So here's a client who's confused, stressed, desperate to get it right, scared about getting it wrong, wants to make sure it's future-proofed, wants to make sure it works for now. There's so many little problems under that bigger problem of I don't know what colour to paint my room you are going to come in with your service and solve all of these problems. So I really want you to be thinking, what is the value of that to the client? So they're gonna be saved time because you're gonna do it for them. You're, they don't have to keep going on to Farrow and Ball or <laughs> Edward Bulmer and ordering those little pots samples and painting them on the wall. Ma mostly they're going to avoid massive overwhelm all of this mental energy that's going into trying to figure it out themselves and just not knowing what to do you're taking all of that away there's going to be a huge emotional benefit because they're going to have people come and really love staying in that room maybe they're going to have more friends come maybe they've got big kids who they want to come back and stay and now they've got a lovely place for them to stay and they've got this vision in their head of friends and family and lovely weekends, all spending time together, you can realize that for them. So there's all of this value that you're creating and we want to put a value on that. Yes, there are certain indicative things we can look at, what kind of property is it is, where is it? What's the value of that house? If you're doing one room, what's the, the uplift in that potential value? But really there's a huge amount of emotional value. And so this comes back to, there's no right or wrong. There's no, there's no more right price than the one that you can genuinely get your energy behind. And if you feel that if you were just to pluck a number out of your, your head, I really want you to give yourself the time and space to tune into it and think, does that feel right? If somebody was to book this service and knowing then the work that I'm about to embark on and do for them, would I feel excited by that? Would I feel really delighted to be delivering this service for that amount of money? We always want our pricing to feel exciting and expansive and like something we are so willing to give our time and expertise to in exchange for that money. If it doesn't feel like that, then it's not enough. So I've given you a very brief overview of something we go much deeper to inside the charge. And if you would like to go further into this, then that is absolutely the program that will support you with the, the practical around pricing and also the money mindset work that 
is really going to help all the beliefs around sharing pricing and being confident in talking about money and talking about pricing, but also feeling into that really expansive place with your prices, knowing that there is no right or wrong, but the, the right price is the one that feels energetically aligned, that you feel excited to receive in exchange for your services, but you can also sell. You can say it out loud, whether you put it on your website, that's something for you to think about, but you can voice that price and talk about your service with such ease as if you were talking about the weather. That These are the things that have to come together for the price to be right. So I'm going to leave it there because I think we've unpacked a lot and I think, I hope I've given you loads to think on with this, but I would love to... I'd love to circle back with you on this. Let us know how this service develops, how has this been helpful, where you come to with the pricing. I'm very happy to answer further questions that you've got based on the things that I have asked you around this. Okay, let's go to the second question. Also a money question. So let me just read it out. What should I be focusing on each month with my bookkeeper when I'm looking at the numbers. I've had some teething problems with my bookkeeper. The figures showing up on our balance sheet have been wrong due to some mistakes reconciling in our finance system zero and some missing invoices. My bookkeeper insisted the figures were right. I knew they couldn't be. We worked it out, but I can now see the room for error and the need to keep on top of the figures weekly. Do you have any tips? So. This is, I love this question, mainly for the reason that listen to you just talking and acting and showing up properly like the owner of a business who is really serious about running this business well and professionally and looking at the numbers and forward planning and getting the systems to work. This is awesome. And I also know that this stuff isn't the exciting, sexy end of running a creative business. So I really want to applaud you for showing up for your business in this way and actually getting to the bottom of stuff that is not that exciting. Making money is exciting, for sure. Having choice around what we do with that money, also exciting. But trawling through invoices and the back end of our finance systems, not that fun. So massive, massive applause to you for this. So a few things that I want to say on it. One is that just to give you this differentiation, and I think that you are, you're in the right place in what you're talking about with the bookkeeper anyway, because what you're talking about is about a looking back and reconciling. But it's also worth me just pointing out that when you're looking at each month, when you're looking forward, the role of a bookkeeper and an accountant as well is not really to look forward. They're not great at doing that generally. They're great at looking backwards and reconciling what has happened, or at least they should be. So we want to clear things up with your bookkeeper. But there is a real difference in role and skill and enthusiasm for that looking forward piece and projecting the money that's going to come in and how to plan for that and what to do with it. I have never, I've had, I think, three accountants in my business over the years, and they've never, I've never had one who would do any more of a forward look than give me an estimate on the amount of tax I'm going to pay 
for that financial year. That's as forward looking as it gets. So when it comes to me projecting my revenue for the year and understanding, let's say we're at the midpoint of the year and I've got a revenue goal, looking at the money that's come in, looking at the clients I have, looking at what I'm projecting to come in in payments over the coming months, how far I am from meeting that goal, that is all of the stuff that I focus on every month when I look at the money in my business. But it's not something I do with my bookkeeper or my accountant because that's just not their vibe. Again, I'm going to give you another charge reference, but we do this inside the charge where I give you a way of projecting money and allocating money and forecasting and doing that more forward-looking financial planning piece for your business so that you're completely in control of it. That is the, the what to be focusing on going forward, that what money's coming in, how can I make sure that I achieve my goal or give it the absolute best shot from where I am in the year now. That's what's really going to drive your marketing, for example. So if you can see at the midpoint in the year that you are only a third of the way towards your goal, then the question becomes, so how much money do I want to come in for the rest of the year if I'm going to hit this goal? What is the easiest way for me to do this? And then that becomes about your marketing. So for example, in the previous question, we were talking about a light touch design service, but if you don't have the capacity to deliver 20 light touch design services over the next few months, that's not where you gear your marketing. We want everything to be geared towards bigger projects, bigger amounts of money, so that you can land that work and bring in the money and still hit your revenue goal. So that's what I mean. We talk about the forward looking piece and the forward planning. We want to focus on the money that has come in and we also want to be looking at our goal and what needs to happen and how the marketing and the sales piece shifts and responds to that. In terms of your bookkeeper and the things to be talking about with them, yes, they need to be getting things right inside the business so that you can have absolute confidence in the figures that are being presented to you are right. That to me, that's a basic part of the job. So I know that you're using, you mentioned you're using SD and that Zero and SD will hopefully be able to talk to each other soon. I really hope so. It seems crazy that they couldn't. I know that Programma and Zero already integrate. So if anybody doesn't have the setup between a finance and bookkeeping system, which is, is zero, and a procurement system, then Programma is the one that consistently designers come to me and say it is hands down better than, than any of the other ones. I really recommend it. I will put a link in the show notes just so you understand what I'm what I'm talking about and which which system I'm recommending you. But in this instance, if you're happy with SD, if you're happy with Zero, really consider that. Like, how soon will they talk to each other? Because that seems like a fundamental part of you being able to run this business with the clarity and the oversight you need. You've mentioned that you've actually worked it out and got to the bottom of it, but you can see the room for error. This is a key place where you want to create an SOP, so Standard Operating Procedure, where you write down every single month 
what your bookkeeper needs to do. So the report that you need provided to you, the figures that need providing, how they gather those figures, where they come from and the checks they need to make before anything comes to you. I would have this as part of a standard metric that is reported to you on a regular basis. And now you've done the work to dig into where there is margin for error, get it all down. So, and you can run them through this procedure, maybe do it together for the first month. So it's super clear. This is where you pull the figures from in SD. This is the check you need to make. These are the invoices that have been raised in zero. For example, this is what I want you to to look at. This is the information I need. I need to know how much has come in in the in the month to date, in the year to date. I want to know how much we have invoiced, but invoices haven't been paid. There are no really right or wrong metrics other than the ones that for you in your mind are the ones you need to be able to make good decisions as the leader of your business. So if you just lift up and take your head out of the finance system for a moment and just think, what information do I need to make good decisions for my business? What is it about the finances that I need to understand so I know whether I need to chase up a client to pay an invoice or pause work on a project because something hasn't been paid or whatever it is. Once you know what information you need, you can communicate that to the bookkeeper and make it absolutely clear every single month. And I would go into pretty granular detail because once you've created it once, you don't have to create it again. You've got the procedure, but let's say third week of the month, they go into the system, they gather this, 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 they present it to you as a report from the system or within an Excel spreadsheet. You want it in your email by X, you know, date every month or fourth Monday of every month, for example. So you get to decide, you get to define what it is, but I would make this really clear with them and what your expectations are going forward. And I'm hoping that they're really cool and that they've understood where the errors have come up in the past and that they're going to be collaborative and helpful in keeping on top of things going forward. So they'll be happy to work with you in actually designing a system that works. I think anything that is designed with your team in this way is always going to be be used better. They're going to be more on board with than if you just do it as a top down. This is now what you have to do. There was loads of mistakes last month. So this is the, the system. Take the opportunity to sit down with them and say, hey, last month we had some problems. I think this is what went wrong. This is what I want for us going forward. And once you've created it once, you don't have to create it again. So again, good luck with that. I'd love to hear how this works out for you. If you want to go deeper on the managing the money inside the business, then the charge will support you with that. Let's go to our final question. So This is a really interesting question. And even if you're not in a similar place to the designer who's asked this question, I think this is such an interesting space for reflection in how we use Instagram and how we approach our marketing. So here's the question. I have a large Instagram following, but they are they're years old, they're not engaged at all. I don't get any inquiries through Instagram. And even if I did, I don't think any of my followers are actually ideal clients. 
I'm considering starting a completely new Instagram account from scratch, but that feels so scary. Katie, what would you recommend? So this is where we want to really lead ourselves in focusing our minds on selling the services that we have to sell and bringing money into our business and providing a fantastic service and not just focusing on growing our followers. Yes, growing our audience is a key part of our sales funnel, of having people to be in front of in the first place to sell to. Obviously, we need eyes on our business to have people who might be interested in our service. So there is a benefit from growing our followers, but it can get skewed. And when you spend any time at all on Instagram, it can be very easy to to feel that it is all just about growth. It's about churning out 700 pieces of content a week. And this is how you grow from 1,000 followers to 50,000 followers in three months time. And it just can skew your entire thinking around how we want to use Instagram. As service providers of bespoke, largely bespoke services and some lighter touch, but we're, you know, we're essentially, we're not volume businesses. An interior design business is not about volume. It is about serving a pretty small number of people in a really transformative way. You do not need hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, even thousands of followers. You really don't. When I started Design and Align, I started a completely new Instagram account from scratch. And and the reason I'm sharing this is, is just to, to illustrate to you, I had a few contacts who I reached out to in the industry and just said, you know, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Anybody who knew me as a designer, who I'd worked with suppliers, I, I let know. But essentially, I started creating and connecting with other accounts on Instagram. And I start, I reached out to people. So the very beginning of my, my growth on Instagram was essentially looking at others in my space who offered something similar to what I did and seeing, well, who's following them? Or looking at designers who I knew and saying, well, who are they following who does similar stuff to me? And partly I did a, an element of cold reach out. So just reaching out to people and saying, hey, I'm Katie. I used to run an interior design studio. I've got this amount of experience. I do this. I now consult for others on growing their businesses. I'd love to know a bit more about you and your business and where you're at. And I sent a lot of those messages in the first few months. And this is not to say that I'm a huge fan of cold outreach, but it certainly wasn't a, let me get you 10,000 followers and DM me now and give me, you know, all of your money to do this. It was simply a, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. A number of people started following me as a result of that and loads more didn't. And what's really funny is that two years later, two and a half years later, I get DMs from designers often now who go, oh, wow, I saw you speak at Decorex and I can just see you messaged me two years ago. It's so funny how it builds and, you know, you've done this work to connect with the right people and 
you think it you think you're you're selling into the silence but actually it it all comes round you continue to build and your consistency of effort all comes good but the reason i'm sharing this is that when i first launched my coaching services, one-to-one coaching services, going beyond the people who knew me, who I was already consulting with. This was me essentially selling to complete strangers. I had 80 followers, so eight zero at the time. And I got on my stories and I talked about my offer. I had nothing, I had no website. I had a landing page, which was just, you know, a picture of me and a brief description of my background and what I did and how I helped and how someone could contact me. And that was it. And I got on my stories and I just said, look, I have four spots to work with me one-to-one between this time frame. I'm offering at an incredible rate because I was doing my coach's accreditation at the time. DM me if this is for you, I'll send you more information. And I sold out all of those spots within a couple of weeks. I'm sharing this because it was an account I started from scratch. I had 80 followers and sold out all my availability for the for the rest of that quarter within a couple of weeks time, simply by being really targeted about who I was for, really clear with my messaging, crystal clear on how I could help them. I had a very, very specific offer. This is how I work. This is the offer that's available to you. This is the price. If you're interested, this is when we start. Let's go. And that was what got results and built it up. Coming back to your question about starting the Instagram account from scratch, I really want you to anchor back into what your goals are for this business. Because if you want to do work for clients you love, who love you, who get what you're about, who get your aesthetic, who are totally bought into your personality, your way of working, you do not need a massive Instagram following at all. You can achieve that with a very, very small Instagram following. And then you can build it up from there. I, you know, I don't think I would be that delighted if two years on I still had 80 followers because my business will all of our businesses will grow as we increase our availability and our visibility and our availability to help more people that is part of growing a business but right now you don't need it to be anything other than enough of the right people you don't need huge numbers so I would say take this as an opportunity to think about how you can really refresh what you're doing and refine your messaging so that everything you're doing, all of the work you've done with me around who you're for, what you do, how you help them, the services you offer, the way that you're going to talk about who you are and what you do, the marketing piece, you have a blank slate You have the opportunity to start this from scratch and to create it however you want. And I kind of feel like the fact that you're asking me this question is sometimes people do. Sometimes people just ask me what to do and they just want my permission and say, yes, do it. So I'm going to that may may not be you, but sometimes if it's just about saying, yep, go for it. I, I say, yes, go for it. If it is feeling exciting and expansive and refreshing for you and you think I have an opportunity to just 
find my voice and talk about what I do in a completely new way, you also have the opportunity to just cut yourself free from anything that's gone before, anything that you think, oh, I've still got all this old stuff on my account and it's not really relevant and it's not really who I am anymore. It's not really the way that I design or the kind of projects that I do anymore. When you come through a coaching experience, you challenge it all. You think about all of it and some things stay and some things you let go of and that's absolutely how it should be. So your idea to start a completely new Instagram account is your chance to start with that blank slate and to really refresh and refine your messaging and make it super potent. And the way to grow on Instagram fast is to to engage basically is to post consistently. I am definitely never, I don't think I'm ever going to be for posting a, an actual single post or a carousel or a reel more than once a day. Absolutely not. Probably no more than five times a week maximum. I think my average is like, I think I looked last year, I've posted on average two and a half times a week and my Instagram is just steadily growing. And part of that is because I run ads on there and that can absolutely be something to lean into going forward. It's it's a fantastic way to grow your audience, but you want to be really, really targeted about them. That's probably a question for another day. But coming back to your the idea of a new account, it's just a really fantastic opportunity to be so clear in your messaging, who you're for, what you do, how you help them, why they should care, what value they're going to get from it. And you can play around and start seeing what posts people respond to, what format people like, how to get in front of the the people you really want to be in front of. So I say it's really exciting. I say it feels it's a new year, new opportunity. I would love to know what you decide with this and, and how it goes. So let me know. I'm going to leave it here with the questions. I have really enjoyed answering these. I would love to know how it's helped. I really love your feedback on anything that I've answered here. I love hearing what all of you are up to, how it's going, what you're working through. So so let me know. And again, I wish you the happiest, happiest start to the new year. I really... I'm so proud of you guys for showing up for your businesses in this way, whether you've asked a question, whether you've listened all along and you're just absorbing information and the moves you're making, the fact that you're here investing in your success, showing up for yourself and making it work, you should feel so proud of that. I am cheering you every single step of the way. I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode.